The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Hey, good morning, church. Uh, great to be with you this morning. My name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at Fathom. Good to be with you. If you're online with us, good morning to you as well. You are real people, or so I'm told. Uh, and so uh, before we jump into the text this morning, I did want to give you an update from last week. Last week, I mentioned that we have uh, a partner church, a sister church in our network, in the X29 Church Planning Network, uh, that is uh, located in Beirut, Lebanon, which is, uh, and they were literally less than a mile away from the black last site from that uh, just horrific explosion uh, two weeks ago. And so uh, I wanted to give you an update. We, we were raising money with Acts 29 for that church. Their church was demolished. Uh, and the goal was to raise $50,000 to send to them. And I read this week that in five days, the Acts 29 and us being a part of that, we raised $150,000 to give to City Bible Church in Beirut to both help them rebuild their facility, but then also to begin to do outreach and benevolence around their city city as they see fit. So uh, thank you if you gave. Thank you so much to, uh, to, to those of you who did. Uh, the, the giving portal is still active. It's still open. Fathomchurch.org slash Beirut will take you to there. Uh, there. There's still more help that they will need. So uh, if you do want to join us in that, please feel free to give there. Uh, with, with no further ado, please grab your Bibles if you brought them with you, and I hope you did. Open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can open a phone or a tablet to 1 Corinthians 12 uh, with a Bible app there. You can search Google for 1 Corinthians 12. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version, but uh, we have a lot of text to get into, and this is some important stuff uh, that I want you to see with your eyes this morning. Uh, like I said last week, we are in the fourth section, subsection as it were, of this book, this letter called 1 Corinthians. There are five major sections. The fourth section is a section where, where the Apostle Paul talks about church services, like church gatherings, like what we're doing this morning. Uh, and he does a lot of work with the Corinthian church about things that they are doing well and things they are doing poorly as a church when they gather. And today there's a sub, subtopic in this section uh, about the, the topic is spiritual gifts, gifts of the spirit. Uh, and so this is going to be an interesting one because when I mention spiritual gifts in any church, especially our church where we kind of have this, we're like a, the island of misfit toys, right? We're all just kind of wonky and broken and we just kind of all show up at the same place. And so uh, this, but, but even in this room today, there are different opinions on the spiritual gifts. And so, so my charismatics, anybody charismatic in the room? Anybody feeling like that? You, you can raise your hand high. You're the hand raisers. I know. Like I've got a little closet charismatic in me. You're like, well, it's about time. I'm pastor, because I've been ready, and I am here, and I got my anointing oil, and I got my tambourine, and I got my flag, and I'm ready to go. And it's like, okay, easy. Let's just keep the flag. If you have a tambourine, you need to leave, okay? That's uh, just, some of you are charismatic. To my Baptist crew in here, who's got the solid Baptist here? Okay, we got some Baptists. You're like, I knew it. I saw somebody here raising their hands. I knew this was too good to be true. I love the Bible teaching, but I knew that there was something fishy here uh, going on behind the scenes. And just be careful. Don't get your dockers, your pleated dockers all ruffled up, okay? Like, that's okay. Anybody in here raised Catholic? We got some Catholic crew here. I know that there are some of you. And you're like, what are you all talking about? What are you, uh, the Holy Spirit, you, are you talking about the ghost? Is that what you're, because maybe you don't even have a category for this. Th these things can be confusing. 
Spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, this is, this is actually a, a really interesting, confusing area of doctrine. And frankly, it can become very divisive. Whole denominations split over these things. But I want to say it need not be. It need not be a, di- a dividing issue for us. So I'm going to dig into the text with us today, and I think we will see that Paul has some really important instructions for us on spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's dig in. Verse 1, Paul says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So so Paul starts by, by, by introducing the topic, and he says, concerning spiritual gifts. That's how he begins chapter 12. And the Greek word for spiritual gifts translated there is pneumatikos. Pneumatikos which is stemming from the Greek uh, root pneuma, pneuma, which means spirit, okay? Uh, and this is where we, we derive our uh, English words such as pneumatic, pneumatic, okay? Which is like a, an air-pressured power of sorts. Uh, or the, the word pneumonia. Pneumonia comes from the root pneuma, actually, which is an infection of the air sacs in the lungs, or so Wikipedia told me. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Believe it or not, I am not a medical doctor. Am I right? Is that, is that right, Heather? What? Air sacs? I don't know. It's, it's probably more complicated than Wikipedia made it for me, all right? But hey. So, so that's pneuma. That's, that's pneumaticos. That's what's going on here. And actually, the Greek word pneuma is, is actually kind of rooted in a Hebrew word in the Old Testament called ruach. Ruach is the Hebrew word for, in the Old Testament, the spirit, the spirit. Um, and uh, it, it can be translated often in the, in the Old Testament, spirit or breath, or, 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 or in the Greek New, uh, Old Testament, it is translated pneuma. And so Paul now says this, he says, now concerning pneumaticos, Ruach is the old, it's like, uh, here's an example. Genesis 2, God creates Adam, and it says that he breathes into his nostrils the Ruach of life, the breath of life, the spirit is given to Adam. So here we go into the New Testament, now concerning pneumaticos, which we translate in the English spiritual gifts, two words. In the Greek, it is not two words. It is one word, and the word gift is not there. Okay, it's not spirituals is better is a better translation of pneumaticos. Now concerning spirituals, there is a Greek word for gift. We will get to that in a later uh, verse in this section, but it does not actually read now concerning spiritual gifts. I think that's an okay and adequate translation, but I just want you to know it says now concerning spirituals. Okay, and the reason why I bring this all up is because I want us to broaden our scope a little bit. Because often what happens in spiritual gifts is we begin to get into this battle about what is and what isn't a spiritual gift, and we kind of box it in into a list of things that that we see in the scriptures. And so, just so you are aware, there are six places in the New Testament, six, where Paul lists gifts of the Spirit, 
different gifts or manifestations of the Spirit. And uh, many have taken those lists and kind of combined them and distilled them down into a spiritual gift list, right? A test that you can take online that will give you your spiritual gifts. And those are helpful and they're fine, but uh, those lists are not and were not ever meant to be exhaustive lists, There's not like one list that's the exhaustive list. It's a combination of six lists, uh, and it's not like there's 22 spiritual gifts, and if you don't have one, then you're not gifted. It's not how it works. So I will define spiritual gifts for us this way, and I will say this multiple times this morning. Spiritual gifts are any ability empowered by the Spirit for the edification of the church. I'll say that multiple times this morning. So if you don't get it all down this first time, that's okay. But spiritual gifts are any ability empowered by the spirit for the edification of the church. So what does that mean? Well, let's get into it. Look at verse four through six. First Corinthians 12, four through six. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities of uh, activities of service. Uh, I'm sorry, goodness. Uh, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So those three verses, each one of them, they kind of resonate with each other. They kind of mirror each other. And there are three words, one in each verse that we need to dig into. The words are gifts, services, and activities. Okay, those three words, those three verses. So verse four, it says, These are, there are varieties of gifts. Now there's the word gifts. It's not in verse one, it's in verse four. Spiritual gifts, Paul starts to break down the larger category of spirituals, and the first one is gifts. The word here is charisma. It's where we get our word charismatic. Charisma, okay, that's gifts. That's Greek for gifts. Now, I want to talk about these for just a minute. Gifts, okay, Uh, sometimes these gifts, these charismas, I believe the Spirit just gives you a gift and all of a sudden they just come upon you and and, uh, you're like, wow, I can do something that I've never been able to do before. But I think that's the exception to the rule in this. More often than not, what I think Paul is talking about when he talks about charismas is that he is talking about a talent or a skill that, uh, or, or even a disposition towards something that you were maybe born with, like an ability. So here's the illustration. You ever hear somebody say, wow, that gal was talented. That gal was gifted. You ever hear that, right? What are they, what are they talking about? Well, They're talking about somebody's innate ability to do something that they just seem to have. I mean, it's like a gift. They're gifted. And the question for us as Christians is where do do those natural talents and, and gifts come from? Well, we would obviously say we believe they come from God. They are gifted to you. Each one of us was born with certain abilities and giftings and things like that. But, 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 but when a person gets saved, when the Holy Spirit saves you, when you are regenerated and you become a born again, when you become a Christian, then God takes those innate gifts and ransoms and redeems those intuitive gifts and uses them then for his glory. So it's a natural ability that is ransomed or redeemed by God for the purposes of building up his church. So every one of us has these. 
has things that we were naturally good at, you know, personal markers and skills that we just kind of came out of the womb with. And God takes those things and often kind of supercharges those abilities and anoints them for use in his kingdom. So the question about charismas is like, what are you good at? You want to know what your gift is? What are you, what are you good at? What are you just talented at? That might be a gift. So when I was in, uh, like, uh, th- these are things that I've had. I've had gifts since I was born. Like, I just came out of the womb loud. Like, it's just kind of a gift that I have. Like, I've just always been kind of loud. Like, when I was a little boy, I was loud. When I was an elementary student, I was loud. In middle school, it got a bit out of hand because I was in junior high, and, uh, like, I was always getting busted. Like, I was always getting in trouble for being loud, for, like, making jokes and, like, saying things when I shouldn't be saying things during class. I was loud. I had this quick wit, and I just always wanted to be at the center of, like, the the conversation or what's going on. And so I was just loud. And it got to the point where the teachers got so upset with me that they made a special spot for me. They called it the hallway. Right? I spent more time, I think, in seventh grade in the hall than in class. They actually put a chair out there so I didn't have to sit on the floor. But they just be like, all right, Chris, just go to the hall. Right? Just, I was always in the hall. I you know, get in detention all the time just because I was loud and I was joking and I was, wanted to talk and I wanted to be engaged with things. And it was problematic. But never in my wildest dreams when I was sitting out in the hall in seventh grade did I think, hey, you know what? Someday Jesus is going to take your loud, obnoxious wit and redeem it and use it to plant a church. Like it just never, it never crossed my mind that, 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 uh, that loud, obnoxious, funny kids redeemed by Jesus could actually be given a face mic and have a career. You pay me for this now, right? You pay me to make you giggle and like exposit the text and like be loud and be at the center of attention. Like you pay me for this. I never dreamed that God could do that. But that's what he does. He takes raw gifts that he gives us and then he, he pulls them out of like detention, as it were, and puts them on display for the betterment of his church. These are charismas. Verse five, the next word, it says the, the, there are varieties of service. Varieties of service. The word here is diacona. Diacona, which is where we get the biblical office term deacon. A deacon. Uh, and, it, and that word diacona means service, or it can be translated ministry, service or ministry. So there are a variety of services. There are a variety of ministries. Um, and so I would say this is like your, what your heart is burdened for. Okay, you might just have a heart for children. Just have a passion for, for, for kids. Or maybe you have a, a passion to work with high school students. Man, you just, you want to see high school students Come to know and love and serve Jesus. You might have a passion for, for junior hires, and God bless you. I mean, I don't know how you have that passion, but that passion exists for some, right? I love you guys over here. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're passionate about men being discipled, right? Maybe you're passionate about prayer ministry. Like when people say, I pray for 10 minutes a day, you're like, that's an appetizer, man. I pray for hours. My knees are bloody from being on them. That's how much I love to pray. You're passionate about a service or, or a ministry, and very often, your giftings, your charismas, will actually line up and feed into your diacona, your, 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 your service, your ministry, okay? So for many years before we started this church and I started preaching, I was a worship leader. Like, I'd lead music. And very often, I would have somebody in our church come to me and they, they would say, hey, hey, I'm called, I'm passionate, I want to come and join the worship team. I want to sing. I wanna, I'm, I'm called for this kind of stuff. And so I would set up an audition, right? And they'd come to my office and they'd come in, I'd hear them sing and I would be like, oh my goodness, right? 
Like I'd freak out. I would freak out because that would be broadsided with somebody who was completely tone deaf. It was like, I called it the American Idol syndrome, right? The first few weeks of American Idol, you remember William Hung? She bangs, she bangs, right? Yeah, you remember that. Like that's what I got in my office. And then I had the hard job of saying, hey, I know you really feel passionate about this and called, but I'm hearing something different from the Spirit. <laughs> and and, and we, we joke about it, but it's hard to tell somebody that they maybe aren't gifted in a certain direction. But, but I had to do that, right? I, I had to redirect people to help them find their gifting because that's not good for them or for the church if you're serving in a place that you are out-gifted, out, out right? There are varieties of services. So, so if the first question was, hey, what are you good at? The second question is, what do you feel called to? What do you feel passionate about? That might be your ministry or your service. Verse six then, the third word, it says, the, uh, there are varieties of activities. Varieties of activities. The word here is the hardest word in these three, in my opinion, and it's energema. Energema is the Greek word, which is where we get our word energy. Energy. Uh, there are varieties of energies. It means operations or workings or activities. This one's the hardest one to translate. I think the best way to think of it is in terms of like spirit moments, spirit energies. Like, okay, so follow me here, okay? There are just moments when, when the spirit just does stuff in us and through us. And it don't make sense. Like maybe you're good at it, maybe not. Maybe it's in the ministry that you serve in. Maybe it's just totally random on the train going downtown. But there's just a moment where the spirit does something and it moves and it gives us energy as it was to do something beyond ourselves. To pray for somebody in a way that you don't normally pray. To, to tell somebody something that, that God's put on your heart, even though you don't know where that's coming from. To, to lay hands on somebody and maybe even be a part of God healing them. These are energies. These are moments. So if the question for gifts was, what are you good at? And the question for services is, hey, where do you feel led to serve or passionate about serving? Then the question for uh, energies here is, what are you open to the spirit doing through you? And this is where things get weird. It just does. Now, before we get there, let me just, do you see what Paul's doing here? Like, this is why I brought up all that stuff about uh, pneuma and pneumaticos and all that. The, Paul is trying to define and describe these spirituals. Now, concerning spirituals, and then he gets into it, and he's having a hard time kind of nailing it down with a definition. He's having a hard time because he's like, well, they're kind of like gift, talent, skills, and ministries or services that you're all about, and these like crazy spirit-empowered workings that just happen. And this is why I think it's broader than a list of 22 things that you go online and take an assessment for. But rather, any ability empowered by the spirit for the edification of the church. That's what spiritual gifts are. 
So now, uh, this, this one's for free. Okay, you don't have to pay for this one, but really quick, there are three things that were really interesting in this, those verses that I just have to point out. This is kind of like a geek out moment for me. If you don't like it, I don't care. I have a face mic, okay? Um, he says, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God. So he says, same spirit, same Lord, same God. He does not use the same word any of those three times. Spirit, he uses the word pneuma. Lord, he uses the word kyrios, which is where we get the word Christ. And God, he uses the word theos. So he uses all three words, three different members of the Trinity, three different maybe aspects of spirituals, all working together to form a perfect community. I thought that was super interesting and like my brain melted out of my ear a little bit because it was so exciting, like mind melting thing. The Trinity exists in community. These gifts are meant to be used in community. All right, so uh, let's move down into our text. Uh, We're gonna skip verse seven and circle back to it because I think uh, it fits with verse 11. Let's look at verses eight through 10. Here's one of the six lists of spiritual gifts, verses eight through 10. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. So this is one of those six lists, okay? None of the lists have all the gifts, okay? But this is the six that uh, Paul gives us here in 1 Corinthians 12. There's another list we'll find in 14. We'll find one in Romans 12. There, there, there are a number of different places in the New Testament. And I'm just gonna do a quick breeze over and work through these gifts just so you can get a sense for what they are. I don't have time to do a deep dive, but let's just run over these real quick and and see if we can't simplify and define these, okay? So first, an utterance of wisdom. Uh, This is how I would frame this one out. I think sometimes the Spirit of God will give you insight into his will in an area that's not crystal clear in the scriptures. So we can agree that there are things that are not explicitly clear in the scriptures. Who should I marry? Well, the Bible doesn't say. Probably should be a Christian if you're a Christian. That the Bible does say. But like, where should I go to college? What should I order at Chipotle? Well, you should look and survey the meats first because if the meat is dry, you don't want to set yourself up for failure, all right? But these are things that are not necessarily clear in the scriptures, okay? But sometimes the Spirit of God will give you insight into an area that's not really clear. And I think it's better, I think it's good to think of them as utterances of wisdom or words of wisdom. And frankly, you might have that insight and not even be aware of it. So before I planted Fathom, before I left my previous church where I was a worship leader, uh, they asked me if I wanted to preach. I've never preached there. They asked me if, they, if I wanted to preach. It's not a great idea to let the worship leader preach because we're really good at playing music and giving you a sentence or two of like nugget of worship juice in between songs. But to give me a face mic for 40 minutes is not a great idea off the bat. But they did. I got up there. I preached. Uh, I was very nervous. I was shaking. I sat on a stool the whole time because I didn't want to get too far away from my music stand. Uh, the video does not exist, so you're welcome. Okay, but, um, but afterwards, people, were like, man, that was really great. That was really encouraging. That was really good. And, and, and one of the pastors at the church came up to me and, and said, Chris, that's the first time you've preached? 
I was like, yeah. And he said, yeah, you're not gonna be here much longer. Now, I think that's a word of wisdom. It wasn't like prophecy. He wasn't like, thus saith the Lord, plant the church, right? But he, but he just said, hey, you're gifted there. It was, it was one of many things that kind of backed up and led me to discern that I needed to go and preach and change what I was doing in ministry. That's, I think, a word of wisdom. Next, it says an utterance of knowledge, a word of knowledge, an utterance of knowledge. Uh, this, I think, is when, this is when you know something that you just couldn't have known. I don't know if this ever happened to you where someone just like comes up to you and tells you something and you're like, how could you have known that? Like, it's just weird and, and, and there's no way they could have known, but they just know. I don't think these things happen a whole ton, but like, I think they're there, a word of knowledge. Next, uh, Paul says faith, which seems like a gift we should all have. Faith, like you're a believer, you have faith. It's grace by faith you are saved, right? So faith, this is not kind of the normal, just believe in Jesus type of faith. Okay, that, that if you're a born again believer, you have faith in Christ. This is rather an ability to perceive what God wants to do before he does it. Now, follow me here. In the, in the New Testament, Jesus will often go, well, not often, but sometimes, go to somebody uh, or somebody will approach him for healing like the, the, I think it's the, the story of Jesus' encounter with the centurion. Centurion comes to him and says, hey, will you heal my servant? Jesus is like, sure, where is he? And he's like, oh, he's at home. Just, tell, just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus' response is, never have I seen faith like this in all of Israel. Like, I think that's the faith that Paul is talking about. It's this like mysterious surge of confidence that's like internal and it's above the normal level. You just think, man, this is what God wants to do. And you have faith there. Next, the gift of healing, gifts of healing. This is the one that gets messy real quick, right? This is the one that you, you start to split churches over, right? Because here's the question. Do people today have the gift of healing? Can you Stand up here and say, I have the gift of healing. Form a line. Can you do that? Well, um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no because I don't think that happened even in the New Testament. Okay, so like I think Paul healed some people. But he didn't heal everybody. He did not heal everybody. In fact, he had an infirmity that he himself was plagued with that he could not heal. So I don't think healing on demand is the idea that is meant here when we talk about gifts of healing. If, if, if so, if there is a true gift of healing on demand, why not camp out at a children's hospital in the cancer ward and just start healing every kid who comes in there? Like that's, I think it's a bit crazy. The other thing about gifts of healing that makes it hard for us to talk about it is that this gift reeks of TV preachers with Kara's mullets. You know what I'm talking about? These feathered mullets that they are just, and they've got a TV ministry where they are heal, they're charlatans who say they have the gift of healing. And if you just give enough money and have enough faith and touch your television screen, then you will be healed. And they use it to create these huge ministries where they get private jets and they're wealthy and healthy and they bleach their teeth a lot, right? That's what you see there. Um, but I don't think that's what Paul's talking about either. I don't think you get to take the gift of healing and make a platform for yourself on that. I think what Paul is talking about here in gifts of healing means that at certain times, 
certain individuals can become God's agents of healing in another person's life. You're not the one who heals. God is the one who heals. Not everybody gets to do this. Certain people get to do this and they become, it's like a moment. It's in that third category, an energy, I think, that every once in a while, the energy of the spirit will allow for you to be a way, a, a means by which someone is healed by God. So listen, we've been a part of that as a church. I've been a part of that as a pastor in some, some really interesting ways. Like we've prayed for people and laid hands on people to be cured of terminal diseases. And, and some of them have been healed. God has healed people because of his church. Not always though. I mean, just as often, actually more often, we'll pray, we'll lay hands on people to be healed and they'll die. But sometimes... Sometimes God heals people through his people. So we'll get more into that uh, in a later sermon, but uh, let me move on. Next, it says working of miracles. I think that's overlapping with healings uh, because miracles are, uh, well, healings are always miracles, but miracles are not always healings. So I think there are some miracles that God will allow for you to be a part of that are not healings. Next, it says prophecy. This one gets heavily debated, okay? And we're gonna take a pause on that and wait for chapter 14 because Paul really handles prophecy in chapter 14 and I want you to come back. So we're gonna wait on that. You don't get anything on prophecy. Next, it says distinguishing spirits. Distinguishing spirits is, uh, it seems to mean the ability to discern whether a prophetic utterance is from the spirit of God or not. Discerning the spirits seems to be that. Uh, if you took the SAT, it's like this. Distinguishing spirits is to prophecy as interpretation is to tongues. Okay, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, distinguishing spirits. And then uh, last, Paul mentions tongues and interpretations. Again, saving it for chapter 14. You got to come back because uh, it gets weird. Um, so we'll get into that, but not today. As I'm reading this list in 1 Corinthians 12, my first thought is this. Man, these seem super spiritual. These are really spiritual gifts. They are very spiritual, right? Prophecy, utterances, miracles, healings. Like, wow, these are really spiritual. Like, they're supernatural. These are not normal. They are spiritual gifts. They seem like real deal gifts. Like, they seem like the varsity level of gifts, and then I read other of the, some other places where Paul lists out gifts, and he lists gifts like this, serving, Ugh, right? <laughs> Teaching, giving, helping, encouraging. And you're like, what? That's like the JV squad of gifts, right? They're not good enough to be the varsity gifts, so we've just, oh, I got healed. Like, and, and, and often, often, I think we kind of build into our mentality some sort of hierarchy of gifts that some are really spiritual and some are a little less spiritual. Maybe they're not quite as spiritual. But Paul never distinguishes between spiritual and like less than spiritual. There's not like the best gifts and then there's the other gifts. There's not like the important gifts and then the not so important gifts. They're not like superpowers, it's not like your X-Men power, right? Like, I think we think of it. It's like, oh man, you got healings. Dang, I wanted that one. All I got was, was encouragement. Um, helps, uh, bummer, right? Like, oh yeah, you got claws coming out of your hands? Sweet. All I got was moving through walls. It's not like that. It's not the way it's meant to be. And I'll say it again. Here's the definition. Spiritual gifts. 
any ability empowered by the Spirit for the edification of the church. There's not an upper echelon of gifts. There's not a lower echelon of gifts. They are all gifts that the Spirit uses to build up his church. Okay, let's finish our text. Verses seven, I said we would go back to seven. We'll do seven and 11. Verse seven says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11, all these, those gifts that we just looked through, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Paul says the same thing twice in verse 7 and verse 11. To each is given, that's what he says in verse 7, and who apportions to each one in verse 11. To each one. Now, we've talked a lot of Greek today. The Greek word uh, for each means each. That's what it means. The Greek word for each means everyone. To each one means every one. Question, who in here is included in everyone? Oh, yeah, every, uh, nice. <laughs> Medical field, well done, well done. Yeah, everyone, everyone is included in each. You're in each, I'm in each, we're all eaches. I don't know if that's a word, it's not, okay? Spiritual gifts, hear me, are for every believer. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. They are given to each one by the Holy Spirit. Now, just as everyone has at least one gift, no individual Christian has them all. No individual Christian has all the gifts. We're going to get into this in depth next week when we start talking about the metaphor of the body of Christ. We are not all the body. We are parts of of the body, but I don't want to spoil next week. So no believer has them all. Each one has at least one and they are all for the common good. That's what I mean when I say they're for the building up of the church. And I'll say it this way. Your gifts are not for you. This is why those preachers on TV who are making a big deal about their spiritual gifts are so problematic because your gift is not for you to bring glory to you, but it's for you to be used by God for his glory, for the building up and the edification of his church. And we need all the gifts exercised for the church to thrive. We need every single gift. That means we need every single Christian for the church to thrive. So now how do I end this, okay? Like how do we conclude this introduction to spiritual gifts? We have a lot more to say in the coming weeks, but how do we, how do we close this today? Well, let me ask this question. Why do you think God chose to do it this way? Like why apportion gifts out to his people to be used imperfectly, to sometimes be abused publicly instead of just doing the work himself? Like, why doesn't God just heal people? Like, why doesn't God just 
save? Like, why doesn't he just reveal himself to people? Why doesn't he even just help people? Why doesn't he just, like, he could take care of these things. Why did he choose to use us? I mean, you, we're all in each, and some of you, I'm thinking, eh, kind of. Man sees the outside, God sees the inside. I'm just saying, okay, but why do it him, why, why not just do it himself? Well, let me quote C.S. Lewis because that's what good pastors do. C.S. Lewis said this, God seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly, which is an excellent word, what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. And that's why we quote C.S. Lewis. Here's how I want to illustrate it. Um, uh, so so let, me, let me frame this out, okay? I've historically used this illustration um, when I've talked about gifts and things like that, like this. When I was uh, a kid, when I was growing up, um, my dad was a handyman, not like professionally. He was just super handy, like in all things. Uh, and he took great pride in our yard and in our house, like just looking good and looking. And I've kind of picked that up in his, you know, shadow. I, like I just, I like uh, take great pride in my yard and my house. And, and so every weekend, my dad growing up, he was working on some project or doing some sort of chore to make our house or our yard better. Like that was just that, like he was just that guy. Okay. He'd always be like coming in with grass clippings all over him, like just dirt and ants and everything just all over his body. And he'd have to shower every Saturday. I just remember this, but, uh, so he'd mow the lawn like meticulously cross cutting, like Colorado Rockies outfield kind of yard guy, right? He'd do it every week. My dad was always planting a tree, cutting down a tree, or moving a tree. Like every weekend. And I thought, why cut them down when you're just going to keep planting more? And I don't even know how you move a tree. Like that's a lot of work. Uh, but I actually, I called him this week. My dad is 75. He cut down a tree this week. I was like, what are you doing? You're going to hurt yourself now, but he's into it. Okay. Uh, what he, uh, the, the crowning achievement in our house was his backyard. Uh, he had this, we had this, this, I don't know, uh, deck that was about this big. And he tore this old deck down and built like this sweet two tier deck and then dropped a hot tub into it. Like it was really, it was like a John Holm project. It was not a me project. It was really uh, impressive stuff. He's always just doing that. He's been handy uh, as long as I can remember. But as a boy, as like a five, six, seven year old boy, I wanted so badly to help dad with these things with all these projects. And so every Saturday, I'd ask him if I could work with him. I said, Dad, can I help? And he'd always be like, sure, yeah, let's do it. So if Dad was mowing the lawn, I had a little plastic mower with like a little squirt, you know, it had a trigger that would squirt water uh, at him, I think. Uh, and I would just follow him and squirt. I thought I was, I'd mow, mow right behind Dad. And if he was moving a tree, like I, I'd run in my sandbox, get my plus plastic shovel, and I'd start digging with him. Like, we're moving a tree. I'm going to dig a hole. I don't know. I just started digging with dad, right? If dad was building a deck, I remember this vividly. He had this tool belt with all these tools hanging off of it. And so I would just like hang things from my belt loops, right? And I'd have all these little tools. And dad would give me a couple of pieces of wood and nails. And I'd just start hammering, man. Just start nailing boards together. I was right with him on building the deck. And here's the truth. I legitimately thought I was dad's number two worker. Like I really thought that I was helping. Like without me, nothing's getting done. Without Chris, dad's in trouble. I would go to school the next day and my friends would be like, what'd you do this week? And I'd be like, I built a deck. Yeah, with my dad. 
I'm pretty impressive. And then they'd send me to the hall, right? Um, but, but now, as, as a dad myself, here's what I realized. I was not helpful at all. Like, in fact, it would have been significantly easier for my dad to do all of those things without me. I made it slower. Like, when I was mowing, I wasn't mowing. I was squirting water on my dad. Right? And, and when I was digging holes to help him move trees, I didn't realize that actually those holes were holes that he had to come back and fill in to get his lawn back to where it needed to be, right? I was making it harder on him. And it took me a few years to realize, and I'm a little slower, okay? But it took me a few years of sitting on this deck to realize, hey, none of the boards I was nailing are anywhere to be seen. <laughs> I had no practical use to him at all. But the reason why dad let me work on all of those things with him was not because he needed my help. The reason he he would let me every Saturday slow him down as he did projects was because he loved me. He, He wanted to spend time with me even if he's getting wet and having to do more work. And he wanted me to become more like him. That's what using spiritual gifts is like. It's going to work with your dad. And it's not even that God needs you. Praise the Lord that he does not need us. It'd be far more practical for him to just show up to everybody in a burning bush. You want to see the masses saved? It's not come here, Chris, preach. It's burning bush, middle of downtown Littleton, audible voice of God. Everyone's a believer. This is not how he chose to do it. It'd be far more pragmatic if God would just show up and heal people and reveal his will to people and serve people himself. It would be be far much more productive. But that's not how he decided to do this. He loves us. He loves you. He loves each. And he has given you spiritual gifts and he wants you to use them to build up his church. The question is, do you want to play? This thing's not a spectator sport. He's calling you to the field. Do you want to play? I want to pray for us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for 1 Corinthians 12, for spiritual gifts, for manifestations of the Spirit, for for spirituals. Father, thank you that you give each one an apportion of your Spirit to be used for the building up of your kingdom. Lord, I do pray for brothers and sisters in here who are questioning where their gifts are, what they are good at. Lord, I pray for in community them to engage with those questions, asking what am I good at, what am I passionate about, and what am I willing to let the Spirit do in my life? Lord, I do pray that those questions would would stir up in us a desire to serve you more, to work with our dad as it were. Lord, I do pray that, that the gifts would not be a divisive issue amongst us, but it would be something that unifies us, that every member is needed, that every gift is warranted and necessary for the church to be thriving and healthy. 
We have a lot more to talk about in this, Father, but, but Lord, deepen us through your word today. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.